Hey, welcome to the 144th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Adam Bricker and Andre Billiold. And Andre also brought you a previous episode, but I mispronounced his name and he corrected me. So we are all set now. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlow. Today we're catching up. We've got a bunch of exciting news and big developments. And also we're going to talk New Year's resolution, filmmaking resolution. Can you tell our listeners what the date is today? Uh, we are recording on New Year's Eve day. December 31st. December 31st. Are you usually in LA on this day? I try to be, yeah. Oh, why? Yeah. Um, well, just because it's nice, you know, like whether I've traveled for Christmas or not, it's nice to like be with your friends on New Year's, I mean. Yeah. So. It's interesting because LA is such an industry town and the neighborhoods we live in, Silver Lake and Los Feliz, are such industry neighborhoods that half oh. the neighbors are gone yeah the parking is great yeah i think my building we know pretty much everybody in the building and i would say it's half full at most yeah and people are like whoa i can drive to pasadena in like oh, 12 man. minutes i went to dinner on the west side the other day whoa it was incredible you crossed the 405 mm-hmm. it was easy it was fun fun okay yeah it was great now you're just talking nonsense so we thought it would be fun to just talk about what's going on in our lives a little bit and also what we have to look forward to. Yeah. How we're going to control our destiny for 2019. <laughs> That's right. Taking the reins in 2019. So you have a oh, crazy big job in January. I do have a crazy job in January. I'm going to Moscow to shoot some cat food commercials. It's so crazy. I still can't figure out how you got this job how, how it happened so basically i did a bunch of cat food commercials for whiskas which is uh, a big cat food brand in the uk for college humor and also this agency bbdo and when you say a bunch of commercials you did one campaign right i did one campaign which was like i want to say six or seven spots though that were all really distinct it was a lot. But wasn't it, was it all, they all had the same concept, right? Kit, kitten college? Yeah, it was all that kittens were going to college together. But it was like, there's one episode where they're playing rugby. And there's one episode where they're in the dorms. And there's one episode where they're friends with a French bulldog who is their foreign exchange student. So you built a bunch of tiny sets that looked like college mm-hmm. locations. And then you populated them with multiple cats. But a lot of them you had to film separately so that they wouldn't... Correct. Yeah. Give each other feline aids or something. Yeah. It, Fades. Yeah. It's um, it's a real thing. There was a union strike. It was a long shoot. We had we were working with a ton of animals. We had uh, international clients. Um, we literally had hired every single miniature builder in Los Angeles to be working literally overnight to like crank out these incredible sets. It was a wild ride for sure. Um, and I thought that was the end of my cat food career so basically you know recently the russian arm of bbdo was like hey do you want to pitch on these and i was like well sure i'm not but how did they contact you somebody emailed me like off your website or something yeah you just got an email that i just got an email that hey do you want to pitch on this which you know you get emails like that all the time they're just not from russia i've all gotten one and they couldn't reach me so they hired you instead (laughs) Yeah, your uh, your your uh, emails not forwarding to your account is the best thing to happen in my career. Yeah, well, not the best thing. But 
nice little bump. Sure, sure. Wait, so you get emails all the time from random people you don't know asking you to pitch on stuff? Not all the time, but yeah, you know. Can you name one other job you had in 2018 um, that came that way? I mean, Ellen, I just got an email that was like, hey, you know, I I heard that you were a good director. Can we meet? Oh, yeah. Another email probably meant for me. Uh, yeah, it, it happens. So you don't know Everyone's you don't know who how you got the Ellen job? They just randomly found you? Well, I know it was because they had worked with a couple producers that I had worked with and my name was on when they asked they were looking for new directors my name was on a couple people's lists so basically. producer referred you Pro- yeah producer referral yeah okay um, I just don't want it to sound like you move to LA and people just start emailing you yes that is true <laughs> put and, videos on your website and, and that then is you just uh, get jobs yeah yeah no, it, I do not think it was because someone googled like American cat food director and then just kind of blasted everybody you know i'm it was directly through working relationships with these other companies with the agency because of the agency i think yeah yeah or maybe um but none of the people at the agency you're working with now correct were worked on the whiskas correct campaign. yeah yeah so yeah but like i said i didn't think i was going to get it and then i wrote the treatment treatment um the night of our live show right um which is why I was like, I got to get out of here. Goodbye, everyone. And actually, it was kind of nice because Russia is 11 hours ahead. So I could text with the coordinator and EP and stuff and ask them questions. And they would be awake to answer those questions. And then, you know, I got on the phone with everybody and did a, a regular pitch. I mean, it's very similar to like every other commercial job. It's just that like scheduling is a little trickier. And you pitched on the phone in English. Correct. Yeah. Everyone I've spoken to speaks English pretty fluently. Okay. But you're, but everything, the whole crew, everyone, producers. So I, I will be flying with a cinematographer, um, but everyone else will be Russian. And my first AD will basically act as translator between me and any non-English speaking crew member. Cool. And so you're going to fly to Moscow. How long are you going to go for? I'll be there for two weeks and then I'm flying. uh, Chrissy is coming with me because I didn't want to be gone for that long. And also like... When am I ever going to go to Moscow ever again? Um, so she's coming with me, and then we're going to go to Prague for a couple of days afterwards. Cool. And how many days are you shooting? Two days of shooting, but I'm supervising the edit. So, so is that's the, part of why you're doing like a week before the shooting, and then a few days after. Mm-hmm, exactly. And supervising the edit is that something you asked for, or they asked? For they it? asked for it. Yeah. Oh, weird. Yeah. So un-American. That's true. Yeah. So, um, so that's the deal, though. Yeah. So, which is kind of why we decided to record on New Year's Eve. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, I just did this job, you know, last week. Two weeks right. Ago. You just got back from Atlanta not that long yeah. ago. It's uh, most of the people speak English there, mm-hmm. so that was pretty easy. Um, did you but, take a DP with you? Yeah. Jess. Jess Dunlap. Yeah. 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 He's great. What's crazy is like we got to Atlanta and he's like, his eye was a little red. And uh, on the day that we went to do our pre-production meeting, he's like, yeah, I'm just going to go check out Atlanta. And we get back from the meeting and he's like, yeah, I was at the optometrist all day. Like my eye is super messed up. Oh no. And I was like, that sucks for you, but you're like the DP man. If there's yeah. one person who's... Who needs to be able to see. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, is your left eye good? And he said, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, uh, all you need is like one eye. Did I tell I'm sure I told you about this. Uh, this production designer I worked with before, she only had one eye. No. And she 
claimed that she was was a better production designer because of it hmm. because she saw the same way a camera sees oh that's fun from huh. one eye because you know you don't have that parallax of the eyes he just texted me actually since i got to your house saying that he had to have some crazy eye surgery surgery yeah oh man he's he's okay though he said he's all good but uh i'm doing that same trick with them again where i like got the hard drive of footage you know on set so i think i don't know that we've talked about this on the show oh haven't we I don't, maybe well, not, but just to, to reiterate. Yeah. So Oren's got a new move that he swears by for commercials. Well, it's two moves. One for sure we talked about. One is that a lot of times in commercials, oddly enough, the agency wants the director to have zero to do with the edit because they hire the director to get the footage shot and then the agency wants to oversee the edit because their goals are not to make an awesome spot for their reel. Their goal is to make their client happy and to make their client happy. They need a lot of product logos and to convince people to do something, subscribe to something, buy something, go to a website, do whatever. So and a lot of times that's at odds with what the director wants. So I had a job last year where I didn't really like the edit at all. I mean, which happens often. But so I asked the production company if I could have the footage through my own cut. And they said no. Uh, and I was very frustrated by that. So my first move is I always bring my own hard drive to, and I give it to the DIT So you just set. always have the dailies. Yeah, always have uh, my own copy. Um, and then my other move that I started doing, I did on this job in January of 2018 of this year, is I went home that weekend and there were three spots for that campaign. I ended all three of them. You know, I temp in ADR. Like if I need ADR, I have like Kara, my wife, do it. I'll put in music. I'll put in everything. I'll temp in the VFX. And by Monday, I send it to the agency producer. And I say, hey, this is like how I thought these edits worked. Part of it comes from me wanting to be helpful and choose takes and all that stuff. You can kind of influence what the way that you saw it, basically, and that informs it, you know? Yeah. And part of it is I'm just like really excited about the footage and I want to channel that excitement into the edit as opposed to like three weeks later I don't care that much about the job anymore uh but the third thing is there's like this anxiety and stress that I get at the end of every shoot day where I feel like we didn't quite nail things or mm-hmm. something didn't quite work and right I you feel better by being able to like solve those problems and know it's going to be good well I get this like weird I mean this is way too much to admit on a podcast but New Year's Eve, who cares? 2019, this will all be different. I, sometimes I like feel guilty after a shoot because I know all these people have spent all this money on me making this thing for this corporation that is, this is going to be their campaign, how they're going to stay in business for the next few months. And sometimes I feel like, what if they look at the footage and they don't quite understand how to put it together and they think the whole thing was a failure and hiring me was a mistake? So I get this like weird right. self-conscious And then somebody anxiety. gets laid off because they don't hit their <laughs> yeah. fourth quarter mark <laughs> quota. Yeah. So anyway, so I want to make sure for myself, whether anyone else even sees it or not, that the footage works, that the yeah. cut works, that there is a way to get from this beat to this beat, that this sure. la- joke lands or that this times out right. There is still an anxiety of just like, is this going to work? Every once in a while, it, it's faded for me, and I wonder 
I think it comes back more, the weirder you get, the harder you're trying to like kind of get, like, you know, standard coverage, the reason that standard coverage is nice is that it will always work. If you have a master and two clean singles, your scene will cut together. Guaranteed. It will make sense. And as long as you don't jump the line or any kind of like really basic mistakes, like don't change the blocking in between your master and your close, you're fine. Yeah, but that's like, like a dialogue scene. Sure, sure, but sure. But that doesn't mean a joke will work. Like you might need right. a certain type of insert shot. And with right. commercials, thing I'm just finding more and more. This year, I did way more 30 second commercials. Is the timing is just like everything it's so hard? Yeah, you know. And I keep getting these scripts that are like 37 seconds long. And yeah. cutting, squeezing 37 seconds into 30 seconds is like squeezing 40 minutes into 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's like. You have to cut out 33% or play things faster and things aren't landing if there's text on screen. Right. And then in post, they always want more logo, more mm-hmm. type, more small print. So Yeah, I've been really spoiled this year because I think all of my commercial spots have either been soft timelines where like it could be anywhere between 23 and 45 seconds and it's not that big a deal. Just like good and tight is the mandate. Or on the the Ohio job in particular, it was a nice clean 30 seconds. I guess I did have two 15s and 15s are no more than that. I've had a handful of 15s this year and those are gnarly. Those are really hard to like make work. Sometimes a 30 is the hardest because like you can get a joke and a half in there with a 15, you just know there's only one joke. That's it. That's like joke tag out. Well, I had to do two sixes for the open door job that a couple of weeks ago I did. And they want an end card on it. So end card's two seconds. So I have four seconds. It, and they wanted to squeeze like three lines of dialogue in there. Like that doesn't fit in four seconds. Like I don't know what yeah. to tell you. There's a weird pushback also. It's a weird thing, especially with a company that you haven't worked with before, of like knowing how to communicate that to people. Because sometimes it's your job to fight and push back and sometimes it's the production company's job and sometimes it's the copywriter's job and you have to be political and diplomatic and smart about that and also make a good spot because the copywriter's gonna lose their job if the spot doesn't come out right you know they are the creative director or somebody you know and some you're just kind of like did you ever like take a stopwatch and read it out loud at a fast but reasonable rate Right, with leaving time for the text. Yeah. Like in this thing I just shot in Atlanta last week, there's this moment where we cut to a kid's bedroom and like a monster tentacle comes out from underneath the bed and we hear like a little roar. Yeah. Which I I, I decided we hear a roar because I think you you need some sound to to go with that. And in their timing, they never left time for the tentacle to come out. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's like dude, we need like two seconds for that or else it's just never going to read. It's going to be confusing. So the other thing that I accomplished by doing my own cut is I'll always get like alt lines from Mm -hmm. the actors on set, even if it's just VO, Mm -hmm. when I don't quite think the copy is communicating something clearly. And a lot of times I'm wrong. Usually I'm wrong. But when I'm not wrong in my cut, I'll use those alt lines. And then I can pitch them. When I send them to the producer, they they can be like, oh, actually, this line maybe works a little bit better. Yeah, I I will oftentimes get alt lines that just kind of spell things out that I think are probably clear. Just have the safety of like putting the button on it of like, here is the thing we're we're pointing out that is maybe accidentally too subtle, you know? Right. Like having that safety net, I think, is worthwhile. 
Yeah. A real specific example from this thing I just shot in Atlanta is there's this shot of a room that's supposed to smell really bad. And there's a woman that like is picking up a sock and she smells it and she makes like a face like it smells bad. Like it's her teenage son's room. And the voiceover references this room as being really funky. And I kept saying like over and over, but everyone ignored me that I feel like this works better if we say this room smells funky as opposed to this room is funky. Oh, yeah. And so I just recorded it. And when I saw in the edit, because it, it's this basically we go through this long sequence of rooms, different rooms, and it's on screen for so sh- short. Like when you say a room smells funky and you see somebody smelling a sock and reacting, it's much clearer than if you say a room is kind of funky, I think was the script line, mm-hmm. and see a woman smelling the sock. So anyway, th- that's like an example of how things work. And I've, yeah. I've noticed copywriters and creative directors, everything, everything's so important to them in the beginning but by the time we're done shooting like i can kind of pitch anything and so yeah it's important to fight and it's so hard because you have to act like you love every single thing when you get the job when you're fighting to get the job you know it's funny you remind reminding me of a situation not that long ago with the production company that i love and a new it was a new creative director and it was something where basically the first couple lines had pretty explicitly asked for a dolly shot that was going to be too long. And my producer is like, you're never going to be able to put that dolly shot in this spot. It's 15 seconds. What are we doing? I had an idea for how it was going to cut. And she's like, it's not going to work, stupid. <laughs> are you serious? I was hoping that maybe there was a way that we could retime it to make it work. And the creative director, he had written it that way. And so I felt this obligation to try my hardest to deliver the move basically i think in hindsight i wish i could have pitched a smarter way of doing it but i did i even shot kind of like static versions that still kind of communicated the exact beats but without having to worry about travel time you know i I covered Mm -hmm. it pretty well and it just a 15 second spot is a, a 15 second spot there's just no way around it but i still think about that experience all the time look we made our day everything worked out it wasn't a problem but the balance between delivering what the agency wants and what the production company wants and what is best for the spot on time on schedule is a just a really tricky thing even with a bunch of experience sometimes it's not going to go the way you hope you know for sure well i'm very excited to see how your moscow experience goes mm-hmm. so yeah. Should we talk about next year? Yeah, Oren. But so, Oren. Yes. Do you have any filmmaking resolutions? Yeah, I do want to do a lot more narrative stuff that's longer than 30 seconds because I watched Roma last night. And you know, you look at a movie like that and you think about the performances and how they worked and how long the shots are and how sequences come together. And even like Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, you know, a movie we both loved. Uh, how much fun you can have with that. And I just get bummed when I realize I could never pull the stuff off in like 30 seconds. And I yeah. haven't had a lot of practice and like working with actors and like crafting mm-hmm. characters and performances for a while because I've just been doing commercials a lot lately. Yeah. So I really want to do some longer form narrative stuff. You know, obviously I want to love to do a movie. I'd love to do TV. But even if it was just, you know, a short or something, I, it's just something I'm really craving lately. What are you going to do? I'm putting you on the spot here. What are you going to do to generate those opportunities? Well, I have I have this one show I'm pitching with uh, somebody else. 
and I want to shoot some proof of concept mm-hmm. with that show. But I guess I was just going to do some really small things, like minute-long videos about smart. this character. And I wasn't going to worry too much about the casting and too much about those mm-hmm. things. And so I think one one thing is just to like care less and worry about perfection less and just kind of mm-hmm. shoot more. Experiment more. Yeah, yeah experiment more. Uh, I don't know that that satisfies this like craving to create these more interesting characters mm-hmm. and work with actors and right. do longer shots and stuff. So I don't know. This morning I was like, I should just write uh, like a short film <laughs> once a month. Mm-hmm. Like just make that like my, it's the first of the month. Today like, I have to just write a short, you know? And it can be one scene. It can be a few scenes. I, did I tell you that Kara got me a master class for you did, Christmas? Yes. So I started watching the Ron Howard one. Well, the first thing I did was I looked up Masterclass mm-hmm. Review. Like, is this, did we just waste a bunch of money on this thing? <laughs> it's 180 bucks. You get unlimited access for a year. I went to Reddit and I like, I looked up the best courses. And mm-hmm. as you would expect, some of them are poorly rev- reviewed and some are really highly reviewed. So people say the Warner Herzog one is like not that great, that it's mostly him talking about his childhood and his film mm-hmm. and his life story. Probably like what you would get out of an interview with him on this sure. podcast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but everyone said that the Ron Howard one was really good. Have you ever seen that short where Werner Herzog plays a, a plastic bag? <laughs> no. <laughs> that sounds ridiculous. It, it's so good. And like, I think Werner Herzog is so funny. And I think he knows it. Yeah. And the fact that he, we'll have to put it in the show notes, but the fact that he um, plays a plastic bag, like he, it's just, you know, it's shots of a plastic bag and then he's narrating. But, oh, okay. you know. Is he the voice of it? He's the voice of the plastic bag who, uh, you know, is like born in a grocery store (laughs) and like loves his owner. It's kind of like Toy Story, but but with the fact that plastic doesn't biodegrade. And so it survives well after humanity has been wiped from the face of the earth and is just kind of blowing in the wind. But it's so funny and so weird. And he commits to the performance so strongly that it, it to me it's such a clear clue that he gets it right. he's in on the joke and if you don't think he is then you don't get it do you right. know what i mean that's awesome yeah i mean i'm a fan of his yeah yeah and i think something we've learned even from this podcast is that just because you're good at filmmaking and communicating as a director doesn't necessarily mean you're great at teaching or talking oh, about sure. something yeah. and vice versa. You can be this great teacher and not a great filmmaker, obviously. So I started with Ron Howard's program and my I'm only like a third of the way through it and I, I'm liking it. Masterclass tries to really reach a wide audience. So I think they'd like to get people like you and me who are professional filmmakers and also a person that's never you know, filmed anything or edited anything in their life. And so there is this kind of like lowest common denominator Mm -hmm. feeling to it, but it's good. So he, so Ron Howard talks about all the different movies he directed and how he got them and what the inspiration behind them and what his idea was like on Apollo 13. He just like wanted to document what happened. And in uh, a beautiful mind, he wanted to kind of play it as from the viewpoint of the main character, whatever his name is. He wanted to kind of shoot it like a noir film, like from his point of view, really amping up the emotions. Um, And he talks about that, and that was pretty cool. The part I last watched was he watches the scene in Indiana Jones, in Raiders of the Lost Ark, and he just breaks down how he thinks Steven Spielberg figured out how to shoot, stage this action scene. Uh And it's really 
interesting. He's like, we watch, you watch the whole scene and he's like, look, Harrison Ford is only in three of these shots. Everyone else is a double. And he's like, and you see this shot where like he rides the horse past the truck and like two bullets miss him. He like kind of breaks down all the pieces you would need for that. And he demystifies these really complicated action scenes. Oh, that sounds fun. Um, yeah. Just by watching them as he would think. He doesn't know. Mm-hmm. He wasn't on the set. Yeah. He's just like, this is how I would do it. Yeah. Yeah. And then I know later on he's going to do some more kind of hands-on he's going to get into that confrontational 50 yeah. 50 <laughs> you love, <laughs> love mentioning that because it's <laughs> in the trailer uh i can't tell you like every day on facebook that ad would play for me i know like, it was they so really often. heavily market through yeah. facebook ads anyway so one of the things he talked about mm-hmm. which we all know and we've all heard a million times but he talked about how for him instead of thinking of a film as three acts it's easier for him to think of it as 12 sequences mm-hmm uh, and I think I think that's an idea a lot of people have heard. Mm-hmm. You know that uh, you know traditionally you would maybe have like three sequences for the first act, and then like mm-hmm. I don't know eight or so for the or seven for the second act, mm-hmm. and then like two for the final act or whatever. So however you break it up, it doesn't really matter. But if I think of a movie as twelve sequences, and I just like kind of focus on writing a sequence a at a time, time, yeah. If you wrote one sequence a month, then you could, in theory, get through 12 in a year. Obviously, I don't think it's that easy. And knowing where you're going really helps. But I've been, I think for 2019, I'm going to try to think about movies in terms of sequences and maybe see if I can approach making short form stuff in that way. Yeah, well, that is a really interesting idea because I would say that my resolution, the thing I've been thinking about a bunch, is how I'm obsessed with my first feature and how I think with I want... making your first. With making my first feature and how upset I've been about, you know, I've been close on a couple things and, you know, I've got long-term projects that are still going great and all of that stuff. You know, I've had a good run so far, but how you don't get to make a feature until you've made a feature, basically, right? And so I am obsessed with this movie called Tampopo, that's about ramen. The point is, it's like scripted? it's scripted. It's scripted. Yeah, yeah. It's incredible. It's like a it's like a ramen sex comedy. It's like a foodie. Oh yeah, I'm familiar with the genre. Yeah, sure. You know, um, this is the the height of it. Anyway, it's like so funny and so weird, and really just about food, right? It's about foodie culture in Japan in like the 80s. There's kind of a through line of this woman Tampopo who is trying to make the best ramen shop. But, like, there's all sorts of little vignettes. It's almost like a little Monty Python-esque, right? So anthology style, basically. And I had been thinking, like, oh, if I do an L.A.-based anthology style comedy... Is it intercut? Is it, like, Love mm-hmm. Actually kind of? Or Pulp Fiction even? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Those are, like, solid references. I mean, Tim Popo is, like, zanier than either of those movies. Um, right, and, but just structurally. But structurally, yeah, exactly. It's, like... I mean, Tampopo is really just like, it's the, you've got the main storyline as the thread, but then you intercut into more singular vignettes. So it's a rare, every once in a while characters will come back and stuff, but for the most part, it's just like shorts in between an overall story, basically, but all meditating on food culture, basically. So you take a theme and then kind of like do a bunch of different stories on that theme it's less important that they intertwine the same way like nashville or shortcuts or pulp fiction or whatever it does but the point is you can shoot it pieces at a time if your characters don't need to recur then i can book an awesome comic for a weekend and scrap together a crew and the cash and a location to do it and nail that 
piece by piece, weekend by weekend. And um, I, I think I've just been obsessed with the Nights and Weekends project because that's where I got my start. Like Squaresville was not ever a full-time thing, you know? And to me, it feels like the easiest way to pull favors, right? Because you're not cutting out the opportunity for people to earn a living, you know? Like if you ask somebody to work for you for free for three weeks, they wouldn't be able to make rent, right? But if you kind of slice it up and you have a plan and again they're self-contained so it's kind of like just making 12 shorts then you've got a feature on your hands and i don't have to wait but is there a thread that ties them all together yeah yeah there would be unifying factors and stuff but that's the thing i've been thinking about oh cool yeah so one other thing i've kind of been thinking about the last couple of months is i think i want to try to like join the dga somehow this year me too uh, yeah, why do you want to join the DGA? No good reason. I just like want to be part of it, I guess. I mean, health insurance. Yeah, I probably would still like be on my wife's <laughs> health insurance, oh, SAG okay. insurance, just because it's easier yeah. to maintain and you don't have to get. I think for DGA, I'm assuming it's like SAG, you have to get DGA jobs to get the health you do. insurance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You and do. I don't. I'm not excited about the stress of having to get a DGA job. Um, but I was thinking of just talking to the production company, the famous group, my production yeah. company, and just being like, hey, can you help me with this? They're like really invested in me and giving me things that will make me grow as a filmmaker. And mm-hmm. so yeah. I, I'm sure they don't want me to be DGA because none of the jobs I've done with them are, have been DGA. Right. I don't know. I wonder when you're shoot flips, that doesn't count, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know. It just seems like something that it's time to to do yeah i'm with you i thought this year was going to be the year but i remember being on a job um where i was directing one thing and they had another uh guild director directing a different thing and because of some politics uh even though we had the money and the resources because i was not union yeah, because you were shooting on a studio lot. Because I was shooting on a studio lot, everything had to be non-union. As a result, I wasn't allowed to use any heavy-duty gear, basically. So even though we had the money and I had the green light to do it because of the politics of it all, I didn't get to use that gear, and it would have made things better. I still did a good job, and I'm proud of the product, but it's a different thing. And I remember walking over to that other director's set without realizing that it was theirs and seeing all of the stuff that I had wanted. And just being like, oh, there's such a stark, obvious contrast. Like, if there, it couldn't be clearer message-wise. Like, this is what you get when you're union. This is what you get when you're not, you know? Right. Yeah, I think that's a obviously a good example. I didn't really have that situation. And, and I want to just say it out loud that I realize that being part of the DGA doesn't make any real difference in my career in the same way that when someone thinks that if they get a manager or an agent, it'll really like boost their career instantly. Sure. That's true. Which yeah. it doesn't, I don't think it's that type of thing, but I, I guess, uh, well, two things. First of all, I did that job with Broadway video a couple of months ago and the producer there said, I said, I, I'm assuming part of the reason I got this job is cause I'm not DGA. And he said, Oh, well it doesn't, they don't care. We don't care. Like if we were DGA, sure. We just like kind of, it, it wouldn't be a, a big deal and i said well wouldn't it be way more expensive and he said i mean a a little bit maybe here and there but not nothing consequential and so that kind of opened up my eyes to like maybe Mm -hmm. i I don't have such an advantage by not being dga as Mm -hmm. as i thought i did right 
Yeah, and second of all, I just feel like I've been been doing this for a while. Yeah, I've been in LA for you want to be like thirteen years. Yeah, yeah, just seems like a cool magazine to get in the mail. Yeah, it is a very cool magazine. Um, it'll just cost you ten grand. <laughs> and the DJ has collected money on my behalf for like my feature films, like internationally, mm-hmm. is like one of the things they do. And I feel like if I was a member, maybe they'd be even more diligent about it or something. Well, you also get uh, better screenings. I've, I know for a fact that uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is screening this week with Lord and Miller Q&A Talkback. So there yeah, you go. That's cool. It's Unfortunately, pretty cool. I mean, if you live in L.A., there's so many amazing free yeah. screenings you can go that to we with just the filmmakers. To. Yeah, yeah. yeah, just having a kid and all that stuff, it's just makes it hard for me to nail a 7 p.m. screening where I have to be in line like 45 minutes early. Yeah, yeah. No, that is true. Yeah, man. I mean, I I think I'm in the same spot. I am a little more into the insurance aspect of it. But also, I feel like it's a band-aid you kind of just need to tear off, you know? Well, what's the move on your end of things? How how do I make a... How do I join the DGA? Well, I've got a couple projects. When they go through, I think we'll have to be DGA. So, like, I think that's kind of the signifier. Like things you're pitching? Yeah, correct. Yeah. I've been kind of just sitting on those. Like, there's not a good reason to join just to join. And it's kind of actually pretty hard to join without, like, a reason to, basically. I think it's more like, oh, it would be really nice to have to. Because, <laughs> right. you know. <laughs> right. And that's what I think. Yeah. That's what I, I'm trying to go beyond, I guess, this year. Because that, that's why I think, like, if I get a job... A commercial job, which I probably will at some point this year with the famous group so that they're the production company. So then they are the producers on it. So then they determine mm-hmm. all the statuses and unions right. and everything associated with the job that I can just ask them to make a DGA. Sure. You know, I feel like there's a really high chance they'll say no. <laughs> but if they know that that's important to me, then they will. Have you talked to them about towards it, towards um, it. what their opinion is of it? No. Because I, I wonder if maybe they're like, oh, man, Warren, we've been waiting. There are so many DGA they jobs. They will only. absolutely not say that. Yeah, no, I know they won't. <laughs> um, wishful thinking. I mean, I know, you know, I mean, there's a whole, the whole commercial industry is blowing up right now. And there might be a strike going on in March. Mm. Uh, Do you hear about that? No, I had not SAG heard. might strike uh, from all commercial work. Well, everyone's saying that they should, if you're doing a commercial project with SAG actors, you should try to finish it by March because... Yeah, you might not get any more SAG actors, and it's it's a you know it's a giant problem. Both our wives are yeah. SAG actresses, and the whole union non union thing is like a real big thing. But I I kind of feel like DGA is a little bit outside of the yeah. SAG IATSE world. Yeah, I think so. Um, boy, well, I wonder how that will unfold because I would prefer for all commercials to be SAG. Oh, obviously, of you know we've talked about that many times. I wonder what will happen. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I think, to me, the solution is SAG comes up with a low-budget commercial deal mm-hmm. that scales, you know, it's halfway right. between an indie film and a regular budget commercial. Yeah, I mean, that would be great. And then everyone's happy. And you get the buyouts, the residuals, all that stuff works in a certain way where it makes sense mm-hmm. for a company to get better actors and go SAG. Anyway. I mean, those are some great resolutions, Oren. Yeah, I do think, and maybe I'll try to have this ready for the ne- our next episode. I think like breaking it down to specific steps and how you're going to do it, yeah, is important. Well, and I think checking in with each other on the show because I think you know the point of these one-on-one episodes 
is that listeners just see two examples of how long it takes and what it's like and how to kind of move forward together, basically. So maybe, uh, listeners, shoot us your uh, your New Year's resolutions, and a couple episodes from now we'll kind of maybe talk about a few and share those with the world as well. That'd be fun, right? Yeah, that'd be awesome. I will say we have one of our patrons, Nathan Presley, sent me an email yesterday, a couple of days ago, and said, hey, I heard you talk about that you want to shoot some more proof of concept things this year. If you ever need help, let hey, me know. There so, you go. And do think kind of sharing this stuff is helpful. Uh, and yeah, maybe, maybe some just shoot it listeners and I will make some things this yeah. year. Okay. Well, uh, before we let this year end, I thought that the two of us should for free endorse things we like. Unpaid endorsements. Or you got something? I guess I can name some movies I like this year since Ooh. Barack Obama did it. Yeah. He uh, didn't mention my attention video with him. I thought that would be the top of his list. Oh yeah. He didn't. Huh. Yeah, I really loved Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, as I've said. Just so clever. Oh, and a movie I just saw on Netflix, which I'd never seen before, hmm. but I mentioned to you earlier, is Cloudy with a Chance of Meatball. Yeah, you love that movie. It's just, I mean, it's good, especially if you have want to watch something with the kids, family, whatever. It's just, like, really clever. It's from Lord and Miller and the same people that did Spider-Verse, Spidey-Verse. And uh, I just thought it's a good example of how you can get wacky and insane, but still have heart and like a real clear through line and make something that's accessible to everyone and funny on multiple levels. And it's got a great cast. It's Anna Ferris and Bill Hader and Andy Samberg and yeah. Bruce Campbell. Oh, uh, fun. So I really like that movie. And I mentioned this to you too, but Alex Buono, who is the DP of the one of the film units at SNL, Mm-hmm. He did this thing a while ago. We talked about it with Adam Epstein, the editor, yep. uh, where he did this seminar that you can watch or you yeah. can download or pay for. Um, and uh, it's really good. It's just he goes through how he lights every scene, how he breaks down a script. Yeah, with really sometimes very simple lighting setups and kind of affordable situations, right? Yeah, so his final lighting setup is like 100% Home Depot mm-hmm. materials, like shower curtains and like cool. you know, regular light bulbs and things. Mostly he uses, you know, um, you know like Kinos and units, some yeah. other things. Yeah, yeah, but nothing too big. It's not like he's using 18Ks. Mm-hmm. And he shoots everything, in the at least in the class, on Canon cameras. So like... Mm-hmm. C300, C500, C100. Uh, and yeah, I just thought he's like, it's all kind of stuff you know, but he just like really breaks it down uh, in a real easy way. And he talks really fast, which I love because, mm-hmm. you know, you just I just want to cram information. Yeah. In. Well, you know, I watch YouTube videos at like 2x speed, yeah. right? <laughs> and with him, you don't need to do that. Oh, great. Well, there you go. So check it out. Alex Buono, B U O N O is his last name. Perfect. Uh, well, I have two hot sauce endorsements. Mm. Okay. <laughs> I got two. One, uh, my wife got me Jordan Brady's hot sauce for Christmas. Oh, really? How yeah. is it? It's great. Oh. I'll let you try some after the show. Um, yeah, it's super good. I still don't really get the Jordan Brady hot sauce thing, but yeah. I assume, and maybe he'll weigh in eventually, but uh, I assume he just figured out a fun hot sauce recipe and thought he should bottle it. I think it's kind of like a hobby that he also sells a little a hobby bit. Hobby narrow. It's a Serrano, I think, actually. Oh, um, it's good. It's got it's like a garlic, like tangy, pretty hot hot sauce. How do you when you said you'll let me try it? Like, 
Do I just put my finger in? No, like put a, it on a chip. Oh, cool. Yeah. What kind of is there a certain chip that's good to try hot sauce on? Like a tortilla chip? Yeah, I mean, yeah, or tortilla tortilla chip is probably the move. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think. Yeah, it's it's pretty spicy, but like you throw it in some tacos or whatever, and it's like. I would say in the range of sriracha in terms of how spicy. A new bottle of sriracha, not an old bottle. Uh, but the other uh, hot sauce that I love is a local LA one, but they sell sell online. It's called Nam Prick, N-A-M-P-R-I-K. You know it? Yeah, the Thai one, right? Yeah, it is the best. And it's got like, it's, yeah, it's like a Thai like street sauce almost, basically. So it's like perfect for breakfast tacos. I imagine fish tacos. And I am obsessed with it. It's my favorite. And wasn't there some hummus you liked recently? Uh, tapatio hummus, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's also yeah. a good idea. It's great, yeah. I wonder if by the time you're like 60, your taste buds will <laughs> no longer like, exist. I'll just be like, I only eat ghost peppers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All okay. right. Well, uh, thanks, everyone. This episode was edited by Oren Kaplan. Uh, our producer is Madeline Rosewatt, and our webmaster is Ewan Williams. And we're going to get to meet Ewan Williams in January. I'm not going to because I'm going to be in Moscow. Ah, you're ruining my life. Such a bummer. Shout out to Ewan, though. Um, I'll bring you back some nesting dolls or something. We'll see. If you want to reach us, uh, please send us an email. Just shoot a pod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Just shoot it pod. Let us know what you think. Write us questions. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash just shoot it pod. And thanks for listening. Happy New Year. Please, please, please. iTunes review. We can't wait to read some new ones. That really helps the show grow. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.